know about y'all, but I feel like I could give a whole message on the last two songs. Whew, really touched my, um, I'm going to put it right here until you go. Um, I can't even, I can't, I can't digress. I only got but so much time. You know how I, I can talk. So um, we're going to start. I'm distracted. Thank you, brother. Um, it's all good. <laughs> I love y'all. As Brother Joe reminded me, it's family. It is family. So let's go on a ride, okay? Um, we want to, again, welcome those who are in the building. Um, I want to give a special shout-out to my aunt who came all the way from Texas. <laughs> uh, just a quick note, she was the one to um, lead and usher our family into Christ. Um, and so it's just um, particularly special to have her here. And my mom's sitting way in the back. Um, all right, so if you are new with us, I want to catch you up kind of where we are, are right now. We are in the middle of the series of Esther, the book of Esther. Um, Esther, we've established, is a book that God, the name of God is not actually mentioned, but we can see God working all out the story of Esther. You know, it as for us, you know, we, we decided that, you know, just reading through the story wasn't enough. We wanted to make that we would choose to see what God had to teach us, um, not through um, just, you know, just the scriptures, but also through the main characters, which would be Mordecai, um, Haman, and then Esther. And so David gave a full overview of the book of Esther. If you haven't checked that out, I would go and check that out. Um, but just to get like a short recap. Esther was a young woman who ends up becoming queen. Her um, adoptive cousin has a run-in with Haman. Haman is the second in command to the king. And that is pretty much what like starts the whole downward spiral of this story. Um, last week, Raph was able to walk through Mordecai with us where he talked about, you know, God uh, or Mordecai's life showing us how unwavering faith shows up. When you've seen God work over and over again, it's easy to know that or to believe that he's come through in a time that, you know, you're struggling with. So before we get deeper into the story, I'm going to have you check this clip out. You've all received the official statement of what occurred at Stark Industries last night. There have been unconfirmed reports that a robotic prototype malfunctioned and caused damage to the arc reactor. Fortunately, a member of Tony Stark's personal... Iron Man, that's kind of catchy. It's got a nice ring to it. I mean, it's not technically accurate. This suit's a gold titanium alloy, but it's kind of evocative, the image. Here's your alibi. Okay. You were on your yacht. Yeah. We have port papers to put you in Avalon all night and sworn statements from 50 of your guests. See, I was thinking maybe we should say it was just, uh, just Pepper and me alone on the island. That's what happened. All right. Just read it word for word. Nothing about staying here. That's being handled. He's on vacation. Small aircraft have such a poor safety record. But what about the whole cover story? It's a bard. He's my body. I mean, is that that's kind of flimsy, don't you think? This isn't my first rodeo, Mr. Stark. Just stick to the official statement, and soon this will all be behind you. You've got 90 seconds. 
It's actually, it's not that bad. Even I don't think I'm Iron Man. You're not Iron Man. Right? Am. You're not. So, all right, so, so, you know, if I were Iron Man, I'd have this girlfriend who knew my true identity. She'd be a wreck. She'd always be worrying that I was going to die. It's so proud. Will that be all? Yes, that will be all, Miss Pounce. And now Mr. Stark has prepared a statement. He will not be taking any questions. Thank you. Uh, been a while since I was in front of you. I figure I'll stick to the cards this time. <laughs> <clears throat> There's been speculation that I was involved in the events that occurred, the freeway and the rooftop. I'm sorry, several... Mr. Stark, but do you honestly expect us to believe that that was a bodyguard in a suit that conveniently appeared, despite the fact that... I know that it's confusing. It is one thing to question the official story and another thing entirely to make wild accusations or insinuate that I'm uh, a superhero. I something. never said you were a superhero. Didn't? Mm -mm. Because that would be outlandish and uh, fantastic. I, I, I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly, with this uh, laundry list of character defects, all the mistakes I've made, largely public. Yeah. Truth is, I am Iron Man. I am, man. You know, actually, that's one of the most significant lines in really comic book history, because it's one of the first times that a superhero actor identifies themselves and says, yes, I'm this, you know, I was the man before, but I am also the hero of the story. And so it was just so interesting. You could tell that um, Tony was just kind of struggling because he's like, man, you know, I know what you think of me, billionaire, seated, you know, prideful. I know, I know that's what they think of me, but you know, I'm Iron Man. I've been doing all these good things. Like, I, I, I want to be known for that. So in that moment, he's thinking, that he's, you know, putting forth, I want to be known for the good. He's really also continuing to struggle with his pride. Because in that moment, he's saying, I want to be known for who I am now. I want to be known for the good. I don't want you to think of me as the billionaire, as the conceited, because I've been doing good. So, you know, the action uh, with Iron Man or with Tony Stark, it reminded me a lot of Heyman. Now, unlike, you know, Unlike Iron Man or unlike Tony, Heyman didn't have that, you know, transfer, uh, transformation moment where he kind of came to himself and said, I'm going to do better. Heyman just lived a life that was full of pride. And ultimately, that led to his destruction. And so, you know, I'm going to take you back to where it began. We're going to go to Esther 3 and uh, 1 through 6. Start reading. It says, after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamath, um, the, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor, of high, sorry, of honor, high all of the other nobles. All of the royals, officials at the king's gate knelt down to pay honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? 
Day after day, they spoke to him because he refused to comply. Therefore, um, they told Haman, being messy, they was being messy. They told Haman about it to, to told Haman about it to see whether or not Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. It says, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of, of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So clearly, Haman is the villain of this story. So when reading, you know, heroic stories, most often we kind of skip over the villain. Like, yeah, 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 you know, what is the hero doing? You know, how are they going to get to victory? But today, as we are choosing to see, I want us to choose to how may it be possible that we can be a Haman in somebody else's story. Someone, uh, my niece actually told me one time that sometimes the villain of the story is the best representation of who we are as sinners. So what made Haman a villain? And what I propose to you is that it was his pride. You know, a lot of times when we talk about pride, it seems very broad spectrum, we're not quite sure how to deal with it. I'm going to try and help define it so we know how to um, evaluate it and where we are. So pride, according to the scriptures, there are two types. There is acceptable pride, and then there is unacceptable pride. And unacceptable pride, we're going to know as sinful pride. Um, unaccept or acceptable pride, there are two forms, okay? There's a type of pride that you feel when their job is well done. It says Galatians 4, or 6 and 4 says, each of you test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves um, alone without comparing themselves to someone else. The second pride expression would be, you know, one that you feel for a loved one, you know, your kids or a friend or, you know, family member. And then that um, verse for that would be 2 Corinthians 7, 4. It says, I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all of our troubles. My joy no bound. Okay? These are forms of acceptable pride. So pride in you know, an accomplishment or pride in someone else that you love or care about accomplishment, okay? Acceptable pride, which again, we will know as sinful pride. The first part of that would be a pride that's fueled by self-worship, by arrogance, self-centeredness, or conceited. You can go on and on, okay? First John 2, um, 15 through 16. 15 says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes from the Father, um, but, sorry, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Pride, the second part, pride also that is unacceptable will be a pride where you're taking credit for something that God has done or you are come for the glory that only belongs to God. In Isaiah 2.17, it says, the arrogance of man will be brought low, and human pride humble. By the Lord alone will be, will, sorry, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. So acceptable pride and sinful pride. 
most often when we think about it, we think about it as an either-or. You know, either I'm, you know, I have the acceptable pride or, you know, I'm in sinful pride. What I want to say to you that it's not an either-or. It's actually on a spectrum, okay? But the matter is that acceptable pride can move slowly, sometimes quickly, but can move slowly into unacceptable pride, into that sinful pride. Most often, that movement, because it can be so slow sometimes, it is the hardest to detect. So, we don't know when it happened, but obviously, from reading the story, with, uh, knowing the story or, or the actions of Haman, we can see his life was ruled by sinful pride. Although he, albeit he was on the extreme side of sinful pride, of, of that spectrum, we still can learn about how sinful pride affected his life and how it has the potential to affect our own lives. So I've identified four different ways in which sinful pride can arise, and we'll kind of talk through the story. I'm not going to read all of, you know, the points in Esther. I'm really encouraging you to go to the book and, you know, read all the various details. I'm going to kind of talk through some of the actions that happen with that, through the story. So sinful pride can affect our focus, okay? It affects our focus. With Haman, you know, first of all, Haman did not even know that there was one man, one man in all the kingdom that was not bowing. Someone had to tell him that. And then he's like, wait, what? And then they said, oh, you know, and he a Jew. What you going to do about it? And so then, <laughs> so then he's like, what? No, this is. So he goes to check it out. And then he sees that, that, yeah, oh my gosh, this guy is not, you know, he's not bowing. So he becomes hyper-focused, hyper-focused on the one person that is not doing what he thinks that she should do. Okay? Second part of focus, singular. In that moment, he could only think of his own perspective. He couldn't even process like, well, you know, maybe Haman's not bowing, you know, because you, you know, maybe, you know, there's a religious reason. That was not in Haman's thought process. He was just like, it's about me. It's a law. Why are you not doing it? Our sinful pride can affect our focus. Sinful pride can affect our decision making. So Haman decides, you know what? I'm upset. I'm angry. He's not bowing. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to kill Mordecai, his family, and the whole nation. Like, who does that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Where he's just like, that. he went from feeling the emotion to making a decision that was going to be a lasting decision. That is how deep his sinful pride was. Okay? And, you know, the next one would be, third would be relationships. Sinful pride affecting his relationships. You know, in Esther 5, you know, hey, he goes home. This is after the, um, the first banquet that um, Esther had for him and the king. You know, Haman had his plot to destroy all the Jews and, or Jews and you know, Mordecai's family. Esther and Mordecai, they get together. They have a plan to counteract that plot. That one of the part of that plan was having a banquet inviting, you know, Haman and the king. 
So at the banquet, they're drinking, like, like how David said, most of the time in this whole story. But, <laughs> but so after the second banquet, Haman leaves, he's, I mean, yes, Haman leaves, he's feeling good. He's like, man, I just had a dinner with the banquet or with the king and, and the queen, and this is amazing. He sees Mordecai. Now, how I read it, it's not like Mordecai was just right here. No, he sees them. He didn't, you know, he didn't bow again. I read it more so that he was a little far off. Like Mordecai was not paying him any mind, not paying him any mind. But Haman simply sees him and is enraged again. And he's just like, he goes home again in in chapter five. He tells his wife, he tells his friend. He said, I have been with the king and the queen. I have, like, basically, he's, like, running down his list of what he got. I got money. I got this. I got that. I cannot even enjoy it because of Mordecai. I have all the things, and I cannot enjoy it because of Mordecai. That's what he said. Now, relationships. You would think you would have relationships that would call you out on who you are and what you're saying. That is not what happened. His wife and his advisors was like, you can't enjoy it? You know what? You know what we should do? We can't even wait to kill Mordecai with all other Jews. Let's go ahead and put this stick up in the yard, y'all, in the yard. Let's put this in the yard, and we're going to plot and plan for, Haman, or for Mordecai to die the next day. Again, sinful pride. Sinful pride will cause you to only have relationships with people who are going to say the same thing that you are saying. Okay? In that, broken relationships, under relationships. Sinful pride will push you to the mark where, again, your own perspective, decisions that you're making. When you're in a relationship with someone, you can only see your own perspective. Then you have the ability to sever that relationship. So the relationship that suffered in this um, with Haman would be the king, the relationship that he had with the king. Again, he was second in command with the king, okay? So, you know, the, the counterplot with, you know, Mordecai and Esther, we're at the second banquet, and this is the time where Esther, okay, you know, we're going to do it. We're going we're gonna to out Haman. This is happening. And so they basically, you know, out Haman. Esther is like, king, there's somebody that's in the land that's trying to plot my death and the people's death. King's like, first of all, king drunk. But king was like, what? Like, who, who is doing this? Who's trying to kill the queen? And then, see, I imagine it in my brain. That they're sitting somewhere, and she's kind of like, you know, pointing to Haman, like, like your boy Haman, he's the one. And so in that moment, you know, the king is enraged, and he goes outside, like, kind of like, I, I need a moment to think about what is happening. And, you know, he finally comes back in. Now, at this point, Haman has started begging for his life. Now, to give you a little background, uh, within that culture, the couches were not so much like sitting couches, they were kind of lounging couches. And so, you know, she, 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 she now living her best life because she didn't out at Haman, she didn't stop the plan, and she's like, I ain't got nothing to worry about. So she's just, whereas Haman is like, 
oh my goodness, oh my goodness, like, um, you know, starts begging for his life. And the um, picture and how the scripture said it, it read that like he was over her begging, you know. Well, the king, getting drunk, comes in and is like, what is happening? Like, what are, what are you doing to my wife? Like, and so he totally misreads the situation. And in that moment, sinful pride become, is evident of how it affected the relationship that he had with the king. The king had no more trust. And then, to top that off, somebody in the king, they said it was a eunuch, somebody working for the king was like, you know what? So King um, Haman had a bit, you know, this, this stick in his yard um, to kill Mordecai. Like, I mean, you know, you could, you could use that. You could use that on him. You know? <laughs> and so that's kind of how it went. So what, what Haman had meant for someone else, his sinful pride led him to experiencing that exact thing. You know, the fourth thing, I had a thought, but I moved on. Fourth thing, <laughs> the fourth thing would be life. So as I, told, as I said, you know, ultimately he ended up dying from the plan that he had erected. Sinful pride would cost you your physical life. Hyperfolk decisions led, lead you to choosing, not choosing the right things, which can ultimately cost your life. I like to, as I was reading the story, I was thinking through that it wasn't just his physical life that suffered, but I also believe it was his spiritual life. So I'm going to take you all the way back. When Haman decided to put this plan into action to kill the, the Jews, it was actually when he, you know, David talked about it, he rolled the dice to see when is the date. The date was a year out. How many know God can do a whole lot of things in a year, right? Like even that moment, I was thinking to myself like, man, it could have been God was giving him time. Time to come from the spectrum of sinful pride to do the work to come back to acceptable pride. No telling what kind of conversations he could have had, who he could have met. But he did not take that turn. Again, he not only lost his physical life, but he lost his spiritual life. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Why Haman? Just to give a little short you know, um, excerpt of why I chose Haman. We were talking, the guys and I, guys being David and Raph, we're talking about like, you know, how are we going to present the book of Esther? You know, what do we want to highlight? How are we going to see through this? How are we going to share it with you? So we came, you know, up with um, David will do an overview and we'll highlight, you know, the three main characters. Well, as we're sitting there talking to myself like, I love Esther, but I just currently am not feeling it. Like, I'm not feeling a connection, which was something that was rare because Esther is one of those books that within my 
Christian life, I've always gone back to. There was something about I could see God working throughout the story, and that was similar to my own story. I could connect with her being a woman, you know, a book about a woman and, and her being a heroine and me seeing like, oh, man, you know, God can use me as the heroine. But as we were talking, there was something about it that I was like, huh, Haman. And I remember <laughs> Raph sitting there and Raph was like, I ain't got Haman. <laughs> like he said it so like, in fact, like, I ain't got Haman. And I was just thinking to myself like, no, like I think, I think I want. And the reason why I chose Haman, not so that I could validate, because, you know, a lot of times in a hero story, we want to know well, how they become a villain, like what happened to them, you know? Not about validating his, his villainous story. But for me, it was about learning, hmm, where could I be a Haman in somebody else's life? That's what I connected it. Where could possibly sinful pride, I have walked from acceptable pride, making all kinds of concessions and excuses, and I'm sitting in sinful pride, and I am the villain in the story. And so I believe that life presents us with many opportunities to feel pride. Many opportunities within that acceptable realm. I believe it's a gift from God. Again, we read scriptures that it is from God that we have acceptable pride. But when we don't have that pride checked and we move over to sinful pride, that is when, for me, I have to remind myself my favorite verse of Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but to the interest, sorry, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. You know, at the, mo- at the end of the movie for um, Iron Man, Nick Fury, who is like the overseer of all the, the superheroes, he comes to you know, Tony, he's actually, and he doesn't come to, he's like sitting in his house. It's really creepy because he's sitting in his house in the dark. You know what I mean? And so Tony like comes in and it's just kind of like, hey, Nick. But um, what was significant to me was, you know, Nick Fury says, Iron Man, huh? You think you're the only superhero in the world? Mr. Stark, you have become a part of a bigger universe. At that moment, he was talking to his Tony Stark persona, that prideful persona, that ego that said, I am Iron Man. I want the recognition for that. So in my thought, I was like, if a comic book can recognize that one hero is a part of a story that's bigger than where, like how as we as Christians cannot believe bigger than that? How can we not say, you know what? The reason I'm gonna deal with my own sinful pride is because my life is bigger than my own. 
that God has a plan that's bigger for all of us. And when I allow my sinful to distract and to hinder from the, the gospel, then I am the one that is not allowed, standing in between somebody making a decision. You know, at Relentless, we love the fact that there are believers and that there are people who are seeking. And I stand here not to say, please hear me, not to say that us as believers, we need to be perfect. We need to, you know, do all the right things. I think we need to be transparent. I think people need to see that, you know, being a Christian doesn't just mean that I don't experience things, but it means that I surrender myself to something higher than myself. So when I am going through, I know somebody that I can lean on. Because there's a lot of people out there that are hurting, that are looking towards who can I look, who can I lean on, who can I trust? And we are the ambassadors. We are the ambassadors of Christ. So this morning... I submit to you, where are you on your spectrum? Where's your focus? Has sinful pride shifted your focus in the wrong way? Are you hyper-focused on anything? Are you seeing any situation or any person from one perspective? What about your decision-making? Are you making decisions long-term decisions off of a momentary situation? Do your decisions come simply from your desire and your wants? Relationships. What relationships could be in, in jeopardy because of your sinful pride? Your inability to walk, allow God to walk you back to that acceptance. Sometimes that means saying, I'm sorry, right? Sometimes that means being right. It's not always the best thing, especially when you're talking about relationships. Life. How is sinful pride impacting your life at this time? Is there a physical impact? Is there a spiritual impact? Church, I say these things as I walk it out with you. I don't want to be a hindrance. I don't want this to be a hindrance. You know, it's not just about us doing this for other people. It starts with us, right? but it goes beyond us. So I'm gonna give you some homework. Can I give you homework? If you know me, if you meet with me at any time, you always walk away with some homework. Damn. <laughs> so, let us leave here choosing to see men within ourselves. With the intention to allow the Holy Spirit to shine a light on the sinful pride that's in us. That our light and our testimony would not hinder the spread of the gospel. I love you, church. Thank you for having me. I'm going to pray us out. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for this morning. We thank you, Lord God, for the word that you had given us today.
Holy Spirit, we want to welcome you. We want you to identify those places in our hearts, identify those places in our folk, in our decision-making, in our relationships, in our overall life where we are allowing sinful pride to rule. Lord, I thank you. you don't have to do it by ourselves. It's not just about us doing the work, but it's about the Holy Spirit working in us to show us how do we walk ourselves back to that acceptable pride. Lord, we give you glory and honor. I thank you for each heart sitting here today. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, as you go with them into their week, Lord God, that they would know how amazing, how good you are, Lord God, and how much you love them. I thank praise you for all these things. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, church.